Good morning, witches. This is the Witch Daily Show, coming to you from New Orleans, with host Tanya Brown. Our episodes span about 20 minutes long to give you just a little pop of magic. So, tune in, take a deep breath, and enjoy. Good morning. It is September 4th, 2023. It is Monday. I am Tanya, and this is the Witch Daily Show. Today's episode is brought to you by the Weed Witches Journal. So let's get your day going with a little magic. Our quote of the day is Some people believe holding on and hanging in there are signs of great strength. However, there are times when it takes much more strength to know when to let go and then do it by Ann Landers. So I am actually in the woods right now. Ha ha ha. I decided for Labor Day, uh, I was going to go to the woods and do woodsy things and bring my uh, divination tools and do some writing and do some spell work and just kind of get out of the city. I do plan to do a vlog for it for the Patreon. So if you're over there, uh, you can expect that. Um, so because I don't bring my teas when I go camping, because I, if you haven't noticed, I'm someone who really likes to make my own, uh, staples. So I make my own bread and coffee and, um, well, when I say coffee, I mean cold brew, cheese, things like that. So, and it's because I think it's quote unquote better. It's just like a hobby I enjoy. And my body just feels really good when I'm making those things. And that's primarily what I'm consuming. But when I go camping, I do kind of give myself like a free for all to do whatever I want. <laughs> so that's when I get to kind of eat the stuff from the grocery store that I haven't like thought about since I was 12 or um, that like my babysitter used to drink. So my babysitter used to have, I don't know if you remember back in like the, what if, it would have been early 2000s, maybe late 90s. It was like instant cappuccino mixes. And I was obsessed with them because my a babysitter of mine had one. So I allow myself when I go camping to enjoy things like that. So I figured this week I would just tell you the things I'm eating out in the woods. I don't know. So today I'm going to share with you my instant cappuccino because for some reason I just have nostalgia around it. And I it doesn't taste exactly like the one from when I was a kid because God knows what that was and how it's changed since. But the one I like to drink is Hills Bros Cappuccino, and it's double mocha, and it is like a powder mix. So where I stay, it has a kettle, and so let me make sure it's not expired. Oh, it is expired. Oh, luckily it expired after the last time I used it. Well, I'm glad I looked. So it looks like I will be buying a new one when I go to the grocery. But I just really love the fun kind of cappuccino mixes, and I like this one. And uh, I use the kettle when I go camping, and then I just mix it in a mug. And yeah, it's really fun. It has 40 milligrams of caffeine. 
It has 17 grams of added sugar, so quite a bit, but I'm, like, eating no other sugar out there, so, like, that's okay. Two grams of protein, 21 grams of carbohydrates. I mean, I'm going to be honest, I don't know what any of these numbers actually mean, but I really do enjoy it, and it's a fun little nostalgic way to, uh, I don't know, kind of enjoy things that, like, I don't think about anymore or that I probably wouldn't want to consume, like, on a daily basis, so... Yep, my little instant cappuccino mix. <laughs> That's what I'm drinking today. Anyways, witches, moving on to some headlines. This comes to us from ancientpages.com. 1,700-year-old statue of Greek god Pan unearthed in Istanbul. So this is from June. Oh, and there's a photo. Wow. It's neat. Okay. A fragment of a statue depicting the Greek god Pan has been unearthed during the excavations in Istanbul's archaeological park. It is a new artifact recently discovered in the area of archaeological excavations that restarted by the Istanbul Metropolitan Municipalities Heritage Department in June of 2022. A fragment of the statue Pan, the Greek god of shepherds and flocks in Greek mythology, yeah, that's really cool. It's, and they they estimate that what they found is 1,700 years old and from the Roman era. However, the exact period of the statue will be determined after the detailed examinations. It was found 260 centimeters below the earth, according to archaeologists. The excavation also discovered stamped bricks. Two, oh my gosh, 681 bronze coins. Pieces of marble, ceramic, glass, and metal artifacts, along with oil lamps. Quote, at a depth of approximately 2 meters and 60 centimeters from the surface, within the Blackfill soil, a fragment of a marble statue depicting Pan, known as the god of shepherds and flock in ancient Greek mythology, was found. The statue, measuring 20 centimeters in height and 18 centimeters in width, was identified to have a broken left arm and lower part of the body. It is believed to date back to the Roman period, and after the expert examination, further dating will be conducted. That is so neat. While this description gives Pan a pastoral nature due to his direct association with nature, his depiction as a half-goat, half-human figure in all myths has made him a frightening character. In fact, Pan's sudden appearance in front of people in the fields, frightening them with his image, inspired the word panic. Oh, I didn't know that. Despite being the god of shepherds, Pan is often depicted in sources as a lovable figure who roams the meadows playing flute, contrasting with his intimidating appearance. However, in many sources, Pan is described as having the ability to scream and frighten enemies, causing panic. That is so cool. Okay, I'm going to have the link for you guys to go check it out so you can see the picture. It's so cool. All right, witches, I'm going to throw this over to our moon correspondent. And after this break, we will talk more. Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, coming at you with your daily moon mantra for Monday, September 4th. The waning gibbous moon eats its way through Taurus today. Here, the moon squares Venus, trines the sun and Mercury, and conjuncts Jupiter. The skies are quite active as Venus turns direct. 
We're finally going to see some closure as it relates to all the things that the Venus retrograde has been dredging up the last couple of months. The last fight with your ex, returning the things you regret purchasing, maybe even making up with that friend you fell out with. We can all look forward to some resolution of these conflicts moving forward. The Venus station is going out with a bang as it squares Jupiter, and Jupiter does its thing by blowing things out of proportion. With the trine to Mercury and Virgo, we do have a chance to save this situation, but Mercury is retrograde, so we'll need to slow way down to do it. Take a breath, take in the day, and then take charge. Your daily moon mantra is, it doesn't matter if the glass is half empty or half full. Be grateful to have the glass and that you have something in it. This has been your Daily Moon Mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago Astrologer, signing off and reminding you that you are in charge of your own destiny. Interested in taking your weed witchery to the next level or wanting to get started? The Weed Witch's Journal by author Carrie Connor blends the worlds of cannabis and magic together to help you document, explore, and expand your daily practices. Dig deeper into yourself with intuitive insights, mystical visions, shadow work, or connect to nature for starters. Want to explore your creativity? Dive in with My Vibe, Inspirational Ink, and the Flower Power activities. Looking to practice your skills? Get attuned with pendulum work and one card reading. Plus, document your practices with full moon, new moon, spell tracker, ritual tracker, and more. Order the Weed Witch's Journal now from your favorite bookshop or wherever books are sold. All right, we are back. So, April, today is your day. We're finally talking about animal magic. I know, I feel like I, I, I like in retrospect, I really dragged it out. I did not intend to, but today is it. This is your day. So, let's dig in. Let's talk about animal magic. Let me pull up what we have. So this comes to us from LearnReligions.com, The Magic and Symbolism of Animals. So the use of a totem animal is not part of traditional Wiccan practices. However, Wicca and modern pagan practices evolve and blend together, and many people who follow non-mainstream spiritual paths find themselves working with a mix of different belief systems. A power animal is a spiritual guardian that some people connect with. However, much like other spiritual entities, there is no rule or guideline that says you must have one. So, one, animal familiars, which we've already talked about uh, historically, um, but kind of like we talked about, I think, last Monday, you know, I've started to notice that a lot of traditions kind of take things that, like, and just kind of turn them into symbolic uses. And I think that's what we see here. So they write, in some traditions of modern paganism, the concept of an animal familiar is incorporated into practice. Today, a familiar is often defined as an animal with whom we have a magical connection. Oh, and this was written by Patty Wingington. Uh, but she writes, in truth, the concept is more complex than this. Yeah. So, using animal parts in ritual. Some pagans use animal parts in ritual. While this may seem a bit unsavory to some folks, in really or in reality, it's not that uncommon. 
If your tradition doesn't forbid the use of animal parts and the parts are gathered humanely and ethically, then there's no reason you can't use them. Let's look at some of the different parts you might want to use and see if that's something you might want to incorporate. So, serpent magic. While a lot of people are afraid of snakes, it's important to remember that in many cultures, serpent mythology is strongly tied to the cycle of life, death, and rebirth. Did you know that in the Ozarks, there is a connection between snakes and babies? Or that in Scotland, a snake emerging from its hole signified the beginning of spring? Next is ravens and crows. The crow and raven appear in folklore going back to early times. Sometimes they're seen as harbingers of doom, but more often than not, they are messengers. What are they trying to tell us? Next, we have owl magic. Owls appear in legends and myths going back to ancient Greeks. Who knew the wise old owl was the symbol of the goddess Athena? However, owls are often associated with prophecy and bad tidings. Next, black cats, which we talked about last week, so I'll skip that one. Next, spider folklore. Depending on where you live, you probably see spiders starting to emerge from their hiding spots at some point in the summer. By fall, they tend to be fairly active because they're seeking warmth, which is why you might find yourself suddenly face-to-face -face with an eight-legged visitor some night when you use the bathroom. No! No. Don't panic, though. Most spiders are harmless, and people have learned to coexist with them for thousands of years. It feels like they're just trying to soothe themselves in this article. They're like, it's okay. People have lived amongst these creatures for thousands of years. Next is rabbit magic. Spring equinox is a time for fertility and sowing seeds, and so nature's fertility goes a little crazy. The rabbit, for good reason, is often associated with fertility magic and sexual energy. Now we have wolf legends. The wolf is associated with many different aspects throughout the ages. Often seen as terrifying, there are plenty of tales in which the wolf is shown as compassionate and nurturing. Next, we have bee magic and lore. When spring rolls around, you'll see bees buzzing around your garden, partaking in the rich pollen of your flowers and herbs. The plants are in full bloom at this time of the spring, and the bees take full advantage, buzzing back and forth, carrying pollen from one blossom to another. In addition to providing us with honey and wax, bees are known to have magical properties, and they feature extensively in folklore from many different cultures. There are just a few legends um, about bees that you can look into. Next, horses. Over the course of time, many animals have developed a great deal of magical symbolism, and the horse in particular has been found in folklore and legend in a variety of cultures, the Celtic lands all the way to Bible prophecies. Next, we have dogs. For thousands of years, man has found companion in the dog. As time has passed and both species have evolved, the dog has found his role in myth and folklore of many cultures over the world. While the modern pagan community tends to, as a whole, be drawn more towards aloof cats, it's important that we do not overlook the magical nature of dogs. Although they are typically associated with death in European legends, they are symbolic of loyalty and the bonds of friendship. Sweet. Cats. Let's see. It's not just our modern domesticated felines. People have seen cats as magical, 
throughout time. Yeah, we talked about Egypt uh, last week. So it's very fascinating. Very, very fascinating. Let's see what else we have here with animal magic. Oh, there was even veterinarian magic in the Middle Ages. So this was written for Smithsonian Magazine by John Last. When creatures like horses fell ill, medieval peasants and nobles relied on occult powers of animal healers, forerunner to today's veterinarian. Employing magic words and rituals alongside early medicines, these horse doctors found charmers face down with the most incurable of diseases with a combination of faith, tradition, and science. Often at odds in the modern mind, the boundaries between these elements of everyday life were far more ambiguous during the Middle Ages. Defined by medievalist Catherine Walton as actions that medieval people took to influence their world in some way. So magic was just another option in a healer's toolbox. Until recently, veterinarian historians largely ignored the practices of medieval vets, instead tracing the profession's rise to um, France in 1700s. But even in medieval Europe, some learned uh, that doctors scoffed at the magical remedies as the sort of thing like uneducated people did. However, today a growing number of scholars are working down to help kind of make distinctions between magic, religion, and science, showing modern audiences how to view the world as medieval vets who ran the gamut to um, from quacks to trained professionals. So during the Middle Ages, animal diseases could be terrifying and devastating. I mean, for commoners, horses, pigs, sheep, and donkeys were very important investments, and they were crucial tools to their livelihoods as well as companions. It's a society that relied heavily on animals for pretty much everything. Architecturally, it was uh, very important for transport, warfare, diplomacy. Like, you got really little done if you didn't have animals. So most surviving medieval veterinarian manuals relate to the care of these elite animals, but the medieval world was filled with pets of all kinds, and caretakers were willing to break the bank to heal them. So we've loved animals for a very long time. There were references to people keeping dogs, cats, parrots, monkeys, and squirrels as beloved companions. Oh, apparently there was even a polar bear that was a gift from Norway to uh, the king of England. <laughs> so when it came to uncommon diseases of the animal world, healers often relied on, again, magic. Which, again, makes sense, right? Like, a lot of people really view witchcraft as kind of stemming from the need to uh, make sure everyone ate, right? Like crops and uh, rain and making sure that crops continued, game continued. But animals, again, were so important. Like, you have to understand that, like, a chicken, ha having a chicken could mean starving or not starving. You know, um, the eggs, right? Uh, the meat and animals were helping 
again, travel, trade, um, warfare, food, architecture. Animals were very, very part of the part of the system, and you can kind of see why people were willing to turn to magic to kind of help help you know help them and help keep them alive and safe and doing what they needed to do. I think it's really wonderful. So anyways, April, I hope that that helped gave you a little taste of animal magic. Um, it could be fun to go down the rabbit hole of like old veterinarian medieval manuals um, or looking up magic you can do with your pets and like not even the whole familiar thing, just like magic you can do with your pets to keep them safe or to keep them comfortable or uh, maybe you could even do a little animal psychic exercises to share with them how much you love them. So I read a book. It was by an animal psychic a long, long time ago. I com- I've completely forgotten her name, uh, but you can definitely find this book if you just look up animal psychics. It's a woman with white hair, and it definitely looks like it was written in the 80s. But it was a great book, and she gave a wonderful exercise for communicating with your pets. So I'm going to try to remember it and share it with you now. Basically, she would say, sitting with your pet, close your eyes and try to feel your pet as your own body. So imagine being in your pets, almost like possessing your pet, like feel your energy as their energy. Try to imagine how they feel curled up or laying down and try to kind of mimic that energy. And then think about something you know will get their attention. So let's say it's going like for a walk or getting food. Uh, You can don't think the words, think of the activity and then look at your animal and see if they have a big reaction. And that is kind of how she gives advice for starting the connection. And then from there, once you're comfortable kind of being spiritually aligned with your pet, you can then um, get ideas for how they feel, um, health, pain, things of that nature. But that's a really easy, fun activity. So again, sitting with your pet, imagine that you are in their body. Try to really feel it sink into that feeling. And then think of something or an activity or an object you know that they would jump up and run for. And then think about giving them that thing or uh, taking them on that activity and see if they react. And it's a great, easy, quick way to kind of practice animal psychicness. All right. So we are wrapping up this episode of the Witch Daily Show. I want to give a shout out to listener Lillian. Lillian, you innocent, fair sun goddess. Candace Cabell, you hospitable moth. Rachel Brady, you badass, dapper oracle. And Elaine Alicia, Elaine, you beautiful, spiffy sunfish. Thank you for so much for being Patreon supporters. I really appreciate it. And before we leave, we do have a card poll. Our card today is Blush from the Dark Magic Oracle. When blush appears, romantic love is blooming around you. There is risk involved, but rain and sunshine make the flowers grow. 
Love is at the core of divine creation. So blush can also mean that the love you feel for family, friends, and even co-workers is increasing. Trust these feelings. Your ability to love yourself unconditionally and set positive, healthy boundaries are skills that will contribute to your personal growth and relationships. Remember, there are no mistakes, only lessons, especially in love. And our daily practices are carry or wear rose quartz for self-love in its most pure and unconditional expression, drink rooibos tea with one teaspoon of cacao powder and honey served with cinnamon, Ooh, wear something pink or rose-colored to radiate loving energy. All right, witches, that is all I've got for you today. Don't forget any books, decks, headlines, sources. Anything we talked about today can be found in the podcast episode description or witchpod.com, and we will talk again tomorrow. All right, bye. Witches, we hope you have a wonderful day, full of joy and gentleness and confidence. Links for this week's episodes, our website, Patreon, along with a free daily card pull can be found at witchpod.com. One stop for everything we talk about. Now, take one more deep breath and have a great day.